You are now listening to the Nothing But Backboard Podcast with your host, Joey Jergo. Ladies and gentlemen, it's your host, Joey Jergo. I am back after a few weeks off. I'm sorry that it's been a little while since you've heard anything from me about the Nothing But Backboard Podcast, but we aren't on episode number six of the NBB Podcast. If you're listening to this on audio, on most platforms, including Spotify, Google Podcast, Red Circle, this may not affect you as much. I know I probably say this a lot because there's been a lot of changes that's been happening over the last few months as far as the development of this channel and the podcast. But for those of you that are listening and watching on YouTube, first off, you guys know, smash that like button. That's the one that has that thumb right there. Please, again, share it and subscribe. Share it to your friends. I appreciate everyone that has made a consummate effort to do that so far. I appreciate everyone that, if they haven't, have still found time to listen to however long you guys want to listen to this podcast. You guys are all rock stars, so I have to just tell you guys, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. You guys have been amazing, uh, supporting, just telling me how... Uh, how cool it is to have this platform to talk about basketball, to kind of catch everyone up on uh, the NBA. And obviously in previous couple episodes, we talked about uh, the NCAA tournament and all that's going on. And we'll talk more about uh, some future stuff going on in future episodes. But again, back to those that are watching on YouTube, you know, there's a couple of major changes right now. So number one, Yes, this is entirely new background. Obviously, you see some jerseys hanging up. The wall looks different. I'm shooting this and recording this during the daytime. And why that's happening is because my amazing girlfriend has allowed me to have my own little man cave, have my own little office in her house to talk about basketball for an hour. Hopefully, this episode won't be over an hour But I have to give her a huge shout. I have to give her a huge thank you. She has been just an amazing um, integral part of the development of not only this, but just everything that's been happening in my life over the last year and a half to two years. And so I I have to give her a huge thank you. I know this is sappy. This is supposed to be about basketball, but I don't care. I love her so much, and I cannot continue not thanking her for giving me a place like this to just ramble on about basketball and to have my own little place where I can come hang out here, do basketball, all these other fun things that I can do. It's been a wonderful, a wonderful thing. So again, thank you, Danielle. Uh, I love you. You're amazing. And with that out of the way, you're also noticing that I'm holding my microphone. Yes, this lovely, lovely, lovely blue snowball microphone that you see here that I've been using. I've had some uh, hitches audio-wise over the last few episodes, and you've also seen it as far as the video as well with the camera. A lot of things I've been working out. So as you see with the development of this podcast, as you will see going forward, hopefully this will be the setup going forward. But you guys can let me know in the comment section or if you're seeing this and listening to this on any of those platforms. My email for the Nothing But Backboard podcast will be in the description. 
Let me know if you guys are totally cool with this. I know for me, I feel a lot more connected, a lot more energetic holding a microphone in my hand as opposed to trying to lean all the way over as you guys have seen me in previous episodes and have some back issues. I'm not going to lie. So I, I'd rather just be more relaxed, more myself and just kind of chilling and actually having these conversations with you. And this is kind of a weird tweak that I've made. But again, if you guys are also looking for a high quality, affordable microphone, you can find this at Walmart, Target. You can also look on Amazon. This is an amazing microphone. So if you guys want to be looking for a microphone and you're looking for a cheaper investment, look no further than the Blue Snowball. This thing is amazing. So now that we've got all of that stuff out of the way, let's talk about the NBA. Let's talk about basketball. This is what you guys came to this podcast to listen to. And I got to tell you what, guys, we're at the home stretch of the regular season. We've got less than 10 games in the rest of the regular season. A lot of major changes have happened since the last episode. And not only that, but there's a lot of major ramifications because I'm going to tell you guys again. And this is actually a topic I'll start off with. Because, of course, with the playoffs coming up this season... And it sounds like there's going to be a permanent change as far as how this goes. Is that going forward, there's going to be a playing tournament. So that means 7th seed through the 10th seed, you have a chance to get into the playoffs. And that's something going forward. And I'm on the fence either leaning for it and also against it. And here's why I'm for it. The reason why I'm for it, obviously you have certain teams that have an opportunity that are playing well during the later stretches of the season and have been dealing with injuries, especially in a condensed season like this, you're giving some teams the opportunity to finally play at full strength and they're able to get on runs. Unfortunately, it's a little too late in certain cases, but it makes it a lot more important to not be, number one, not tanking for some teams, but number two, it also helps provide a lot more intensity for those 7-8 seeds. Because not only are you concerned about, well, I want to avoid playing the top seed in the respective conference, but also if you're a 9-10, that gives you an opportunity to play in and get that opportunity to go play. But on the flip side, and this is I'm probably leaning more towards against on this one. Because like I just mentioned, it's a condensed NBA season. We've already dealt with a lot of injuries. Obviously, we've had a lot of major stars out for a significant amount of time. To list a few, LaMelo Ball, LeBron James, uh, Steph missed out, James Harden, Kevin Durant, and others like Joel Embiid. There's a lot of guys I can name on that list. And part of the reason why that's happening as often as it has this season is in big part because there's been so many back-to-backs, the season's been condensed, so there's a lot more games during a shorter stretch of time. And we're trying, and I thought the initial response and the initial reason why we immediately made it a 72-game season for the NBA was because they wanted to get back to a regular schedule going into the following season, where it's an 82-game season, we're starting it you know, late October, early November, and we're back on a regular schedule. But now to add the play-in tournaments where not only are you adding at least one game 
for the bottom seeded teams in the playoffs, but to try to compact that in a short span of time and then turn around and then hop into a playoff series and for these instances playing against the top seeded teams out west or out east, it just doesn't make sense. It's not really giving those teams a competitive advantage. And to also avoid the injuries, it wouldn't make sense to add a couple more games. Obviously, as we get towards the tail end of the regular season, you're probably going to look at certain schedules right now and think, oh, our last game's on May 13th or May 14th. But we also have to factor in the idea that there's the makeup games from the first half of the NBA season that have been postponed due to health and safety protocols with the pandemic. So to add on top of that you know, one or two extra games for certain teams and then transition that into a play-in tournament, it kind of throws things into a loop for a lot of those teams that are trying to vie for the 7, 8, 9, or 10 seed, or even better yet, for those teams that are trying to get out of that 7 seed and be in the top 6 to avoid that play-in tournament. It's, it's really tough because, yes, while you look at certain teams that are in the 9-10 spots, you look at teams out east, for example, like Washington, who's played some of the best basketball within the last handful of games. And then, obviously, you look out west with Golden State. Obviously, you have one of the more marketable and more exciting players to watch in Steph Curry. Obviously, that makes it more enticing to have a lot of quality talent who, in normal circumstances and normal seasons, would be missing out on the playoffs give them that opportunity, give them that stage to play. But at the same time, it also comes with the caveat that, oh, well, we're sacrificing additional time to try to play these makeup games. And it also takes away the fact that certain teams, the top eight teams in each conference with the best record, you're not necessarily guaranteed that if you're the seventh and eighth. And that's, now had that been back in, you know, the mid-2000s when I'm thinking like the Western Conference where, even teams that won 47, 46 games out in the Western Conference, you would still have a decent chance of being in the ninth seed and not make the playoffs. So if that was the crutch or if that was exhibit A of why we want to have the playing tournaments, by all means, yes. But I think with this season, because of how condensed and how short this season is, it makes no sense to have it now. Because if we're trying to get back on schedule, you don't try to pile on more stuff. I like the concept. Again, I really do like that concept because, again, there's a lot of talent and a lot of good quality teams that are going to be missing out. But at the same time, we're also sacrificing you know, an extra few days where some of these teams who have fought, scratched and clawed to get into the 7th or 8th seed still have to fight for a playoff spot. So it's a very interesting thing as you can tell. It's it's gonna it's gonna probably have some more backlash from those. So you guys let me know in the comment section what you guys think about the play in tournament concept. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? You guys let me know. Uh, I'm just it's a very it's very interesting. So that's something that we'll talk about a little bit more, especially when the play in tournament happens as far as what four teams from each conference make the play in tournament which teams avoid the play in tournament as we're going to look into in the in the standings in a little bit here it's going to be fun it's going to be very exciting to do so 
With that in mind, it's been a few weeks, so we got a lot of things to catch up on. So again, as you guys know, in previous episodes before, we'll talk about teams of the week, we'll talk about players of the week, and for me, we're going to start off with the players of the week, and really the one name that stood out to me as far as the player of, you know, I guess can't really call it the player of the week. It's more so uh, player of the month or the player of the last few weeks. It doesn't have a ring when you say player of the last three weeks and two days. It just doesn't have a doesn't come off the tongue very well. But my player of choice from the Western Conference, there's really only one name that stands out, and that's got to be Steph. It's got to be Steph Curry because when you look at it, and obviously he's he's a polarizing figure in some people's eyes because of course people talked about when Steph won his three rings oh well he wasn't necessarily the best player on his team he was never the finals MVP and so on and so forth and how well will the Golden State Warriors play when they don't have you know three all-stars they don't have another guy like Kevin Durant without Klay Thompson what's what what are they going to look like? And as you've seen all year, and of course some of the stats will back it up, but if you've watched the Golden State Warriors game this entire season, everybody, and more than likely their mothers, know that the one guy you have to stop on the Golden State Warriors has the number 30 on his jersey. And no, we're not talking about Juan Toscano. We're not talking about Nico Mannion. We're talking about Steph. And a lot of teams game plan it to where they try to get the ball out of Steph's hands. But what makes Steph so intriguing and so exciting to watch if you're a basketball purist, watch how he works to get quality shots. And by his quality shots, I mean there's only maybe a couple inches separating him from his defender, and that's still a quality look for Steph. But you watch a lot of games that I watched this year of Golden State – Obviously, when Steph is sitting on the block, so I'm kind of giving you guys a little bit of an illustration. When Steph is sitting on the block and there's another player out on the perimeter, more than likely, chances are there's going to be a pin down. There's going to be a down screen to try to get Steph open. However, when you watch Golden State, and especially because they have a guy like Draymond that is a very good passer and a very good decision maker, if Steph were to come up and set a back screen for the person on the wing, whether that's Wiggins, Ubre, Toscano, Michael Mulder, whoever, Steph sets that back screen. Both defenders stick with Steph, and that leaves that person wide open for a layup. But also to add to that, it's how much that guy has to move just to get a quality opportunity to make a play. But all that to say. Watching Steph, especially in the last 10 games, even beyond that. So, if you look at his stats over the last 10 games, he's averaged over 35. Shooting about 49% from the field, but he's shooting 46, 46, sorry, 46% from the three-point line. And that's while shooting just under 15 threes a game. Now, again, obviously, that's a crazy stat to think about that an NBA player averages just under 15 threes by himself. But the fact that he's shooting it at an over 46% clip just tells you not only, and this is, I'm just going to set this argument to rest, Steph Curry is the best shooter of all time. 
not only because of the range, but also because of how he gets his looks. And kids, I want you guys to understand this, especially for those that are in elementary, middle school, high school. If you guys want to be a watch Steph Curry and how inspirational Steph Curry is, you have to understand the amount of work that that guy has to put in, but not only that, but in the game situation, how hard that guy has to work just to get quality looks. And again, that hopefully will change for him next year with Clay Thompson coming back, whatever happens with uh, Golden State and the potential NBA draft, which again, we're going to talk about uh, in a little bit when we get to the standings. But it's it's absolutely mind-boggling to watch Steph just get on hot streaks where he goes off for... I forgot how many threes. He had over 90-some-odd threes in the month of April. And not only that, but he had five games of 10-plus three-pointers made in a game. It's it's insane. Absolutely insane. So that's my Western Conference player uh, for Steph Curry. And if I look over at the East, there's two guys. But one guy, because of the success of his team, actually for both guys, really, that I'm thinking about, my honorable mention is going to be Bradley Beal. The reason why I throw out Bradley Beal, because him and Steph right now are in the middle of the scoring title chase, where they're now separated by .2 points as of the time of this recording, which is May 2nd. And especially with the way that Washington's been playing, you obviously got to give a lot of respect to Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook and what they've done in Washington to get themselves well-firmed into the play-in tournament at the 10th seed. They're three games clear of the 11th seed, which I believe is Cleveland at the time of recording. So they find themselves there. But again, my Eastern Conference player is not going to be Bradley Beal as much as I want to talk about him. It's actually going to be Julius Randle of the New York Knicks. Yes, the New York Knicks, who are firmly in the playoffs, who were more than likely going to be clinching at some point within the next few days. Julius Randle, to me, and I know a lot of people are probably going to throw his name in as the odds-on favorite for the most improved player of the year. And we'll kind of get into award predictions in the next episode. But if you guys have seen Julius Randle, especially after he left the Lakers five or so years ago when he went to New Orleans, he was still putting up really quality numbers for the Pelicans. And granted, that was a few years ago, but he was putting up numbers of like 22 and 11 with four assists. But what makes his case for the most improved player of the year for me more significant I think is the array of ways in which Randall affects the game on the offensive end so looking at his last 10 games he's averaged just under 31 points 47% from the field but this is probably the most like the more the thing that pops out the most to me is that he's shooting just under 47% from the three-point line Julius Randle, especially coming out of college from Kentucky, and I know there's a a close friend of mine who's actually going to be getting married uh, in the next week or so. So he's a huge UK fan. But Julius Randle, especially coming out of college, and you saw it in the first couple years in the league, he wasn't a guy that you wanted to shoot anywhere beyond 15 feet. And not only that, but he was obviously a guy that just wanted to go to his left hand the entire time wasn't a crazy athlete, say, of a a caliber like Zion Williamson. But you know the guy was going to go left. He wasn't a good 
mid-range to a perimeter shooter, but now watching his game this year, especially in New York with Tom Thibodeau and what they've done, and to watch Julius Randle expand his game out to where he's kind of essentially been a point forward for New York at times, to average 47% from the three-point line over the last 10 games, and he's shooting over 40% from the three throughout the entire season. To me... That is probably the main case why you could say Julius Randle is the most improved player. Not because of, like, from a statistical standpoint, he's had career highs, but it's also the impact that he's had on the game from him expanding his game more so on the perimeter to being a quality shooter. And also, his playmaking is pretty underrated as well. I mean, granted, it's only, you know, five assists over the last ten games, but he's been consistently putting up those numbers, and he's had a couple triple-doubles this year as well. And so now you're able to see Julius Randle kind of be what the Lakers were hoping they were getting in the first place. And so that, to me, is going to be fun to watch, especially if you look at the Knicks. Obviously, they're not going to be on the upper echelon of the Eastern Conference, as we're going to talk about with Brooklyn, Philadelphia, Milwaukee. But New York's going to be a tough out because anyone that knows Tom Thibodeau's style and anybody that knows Tom Thibodeau coach teams, whether it was with Chicago or Minnesota, they're going to get after you on the defensive end. But I think what's also mind-boggling about it, and actually I'm going to save that part because we're actually going to talk about that in a little bit, but just to see... Really, the only all-star on their team. They got a lot of young prospects. Guys like Emmanuel Quickly, R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, who's been in and out of the lineup, unfortunately, because of injuries. And Julius Randle's kind of kept them afloat. And not only kept them afloat, but thriving. And so, with that, I'm going to transition over to our teams of the week. And I'm going to stick into... I'm going to stick over in the East Coast over there in New York, New York. Because the Knicks, to me, are my, my Eastern Conference team of the month especially in the last 10 games they've won nine of the last 10 they just had an eight game winning streak before losing and they eventually they won their last game but when you look at the offensive ratings so when you talk about offensive ratings that talks more so about efficiency scoring this that and the other the number one team over the last 10 games in offensive ratings it's not your typical teams that you would think of, like your Dallas's or your Clippers or the Brooklyn Nets. It's the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks are, again, as I mentioned before, are more known for their defensive prowess. But over the last 10 games, the number one offensive rated team has been the New York Knicks. And not only that, but again, as I mentioned, they're firmly fourth in the Eastern Conference. They find themselves in a good position to get out of the first round, depending on who they match up with. Uh, it'll be the first playoff series win since 2012 when they had Amari Stoudemire, Carmelo Anthony, Tyson Chandler, Jason Kidd. New York is going to be a tough out for one of those top three teams, depending on who ends up eventually winning, uh, who ends up, end up getting the number one seed. Because of New York's you know grit and grind on the defensive end, obviously I've talked about Randall to an extent, you know, further extent but also you look at some of the other guys that surround him i haven't even mentioned derrick rose if in case everyone forgot who derrick rose was derrick rose still has the capability to put up a 20 ball maybe a 25 ball on a consistent basis and i i see him being utilized a lot more come playoff time 
And so, with that in mind, again, 9 out of the last 10 for New York, firmly finding themselves just a bit ahead of the Atlanta Hawks, who are the fifth seed. And I'm just going to throw this in right now, because I mentioned this in a previous podcast when I talked about the Hawks. I've talked about Nate McMillan. That guy needs to permanently be the coach for the Atlanta Hawks going into next season. I don't care if he has the interim title now because of what Nate McMillan's done with Atlanta. Despite the fact that they have Trey Young, who's been sidelined for a while. Came back at two three-point games. Nate McMillan needs to be Atlanta Hawks' next coach permanently for the next few years because they've responded since he got hired. He has the fourth best record. The Atlanta Hawks have the fourth best record in the league behind Phoenix, Brooklyn, and Utah. So that's all to say that it's not quite over yet for New York to clinch that four seed. They have no chance of getting the three seed. And we'll talk more about that in standings. But who thought that the Knicks were going to be in the playoffs this late in the season? But not only that, firmly in the playoffs as a top four seed out in the Eastern Conference. Kudos to you, New York, New York. Well done. So, in the West... Speaking of vying for those top four seeds, the Denver Nuggets, to me, they're they're in an interesting they're in an interesting situation. Obviously, they've lost guards like Jamal Murray for the season. They lost Will Barton for a significant amount of time. Yet they still find themselves winning games. They've also too have won nine of their last ten games. They have, in my opinion, the MVP of the league in Nikola Jokic, but. Much like New York, and the common trend with both teams, especially over the last 10 games, what both the Knicks and the Nuggets have in common is that they're both the only two teams, and I think Utah's up there, but those are two teams that are both ranked in the top 10 in both offensive and defensive rating. That was a big issue for the Nuggets going into the all-star break they weren't really locked in on the defensive end obviously they missing pieces like Jeremy Grant who went to the Pistons who again when I was talking about Randall as far as the most improved player that was a guy that I'm still in you know heavy consideration because we haven't seen Jeremy Grant kind of expand his role as being the lead guy for a team I don't see that as his role going forward if the Detroit Pistons are hoping to be successful but Looking at the Nuggets, missing pieces, injuries, yet they still find themselves not only winning games out in the Western Conference, but now at this time of recording, they find themselves third in the West, and they're only a couple games out of first. So they still have an outside chance of getting the top seed out West, and with all of that happening, and with all of that going on for them, Denver, to me, I don't see them as a title favorite out West. Obviously, with the return of LeBron for LA and all of these other pieces amongst all the other top top seeded teams out in the Western Conference, getting you know star players back and their all stars and key role players. But Denver, again, they have the MVP of the league. They've got Nikola Jokic. They've got that one locked down. And the job that Mike Malone's done for the Nuggets. Again, I'm just going to say this right now, and please, Sacramento Kings fans, if you are listening to this, please, 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 please do not take offense to this, but I'm just going to be 100% honest with you guys. You guys should never, should have never let that guy go. Absolutely should not have let that guy go. 
what he's done and what he was doing at Sacramento prior to his firing there. And you see it now in Denver. And you see what Jokic, the development of Michael Porter Jr., all of these other pieces. Franchuza Campazzo, that's, that's, uh, that's a fun name to say. All that to say is that Denver, again, while they're not going to be my favorite to come out of the West to make it to the finals, what they've done, 9 out of the last 10, top 10 in both offensive and defensive ratings. Major shout-out to them. They just had a huge win uh, last night against the Clippers at the time of recording to find themselves, again, top three in the West, still have an outside shot to catch Utah and catch Phoenix for the top seed out West. A major shout-out to them. So with that being said, we're going to dive into the Eastern Conference. We're going to talk about the playoffs, the standings, significance, what that's going to be looking like for some of those teams, and one of the bigger scenarios that's kind of playing into effect over the next handful of games. Look at number one, Brooklyn Nets only have a half-game lead over the second seed, 76ers of Philadelphia. Now, why I bring this up, uh, not only because of the distance as far as games behind between first and second, but because of the fact that Philadelphia has won two of the three meetings this year between themselves and Brooklyn. If both teams were to end with identical records by the end of the regular season, the number one seed will go to Philadelphia because of the head-to-head tiebreaker. Now, with that being said, as we go down to number three, Milwaukee's three and a half games back at first. So there's still a decent outside chance for them to, if not get the one seed, potentially get a two seed. And they've talked about uh, how, at least for this year for Milwaukee, they're not concerned about the number one seed because if you guys remember and recall over the last two seasons, not only has Milwaukee had the best record in the East, but they've also had the best record in all of the NBA and both have ended in failed successes as far as advancing far into the playoffs and eventually the ultimate goal of making it to the finals for the shot at the championship. So Milwaukee sitting at three, there's a good shot that they probably stay there and they're content being a top three as opposed to the top seed overall. Number four, the New York Knicks, as I've alluded to earlier, they're seven and a half games back, but crucially, they are one game ahead of Atlanta, who sits at number five. And let me just put this on record, because I will continue to say this. Nate McMillan, who was assigned the interim head coach after the firing of Lloyd Pierce, I mentioned this in a previous episode. Nate McMillan needs to be the permanent head coach for the Atlanta Hawks. Since Nate McMillan's promotion to the associate head coach or the interim head coach, Atlanta's had the fourth best record. In all of the NBA, not just the Eastern Conference, but in all of the NBA. So that only trails Phoenix, Utah, and Brooklyn. With that being said, I don't see why you don't hire Nate McMillan as your full-on, full-time head coach. As I've mentioned before, his success at Portland, his success at Indiana should be a great proving track record that that guy can help provide your team towards a direction that you want them hopefully to be. Now that's being a perennial playoff contender. Obviously everyone wants to be in a position to win championships, but the fact that they're getting into the playoffs perennially, you have to look at Nate McMillan as being that linchpin and the catalyst that gets Atlanta 
to where they want to go. Obviously, a big question is, will Trey Young stay healthy? Obviously, he's still recovering from his ankle injury. Hopefully, he'll be back soon. Time will tell how that goes. But, again, that's all to say. Atlanta Hawks should keep Nate McMillan on. If they don't, I'm probably going to have an episode that's probably just going to go on a full-on rant. And we hope that doesn't happen. I don't think anybody here wants to listen or hear me go off on a rant about Atlanta Hawks and just not making the best decision of keeping Nick McMillan there. But that's all to say. Whatever. We're moving on from that. Here's an intriguing one. Boston, Miami. Boston, at the moment in time, has the head-to-head tiebreaker over Miami for the 6th and 7th spot. That is huge. Obviously, as we've talked about this entire episode, with the play-in tournament... You obviously don't want to be a 7th seed. You want to be the number 6 seed. And because of the tiebreaker, because of the head-to-head, it was a November or December matchup between Boston and Miami. It was a Peyton Pritchard game-winning putback that put Boston up. If the season were to end, obviously Miami would be in the play-in tournament. They both have identical records, but that again, the tiebreaker goes to Boston. And that would be a fun matchup between Boston and Milwaukee in the first round if the playoffs were to end today. So, going on to the number 8 spot, and that's the Charlotte Hornets, who just got back LaMelo Ball. That's going to be a a big, big piece for them. Obviously, another big piece that they're hopefully going to get back by the end of the regular season is Gordon Hayward. If that were the case, at the time of recording, they would play Miami for the shot at the 7th seed. If they lose then they still have a shot in that play-in tournament to play either the 9 or 10 seeds, who right now, respectively, are the Indiana Pacers, who sit at 9, and the Washington Wizards again. Surging at Washington Wizards at the 10th spot. More importantly for Washington, they sit three games ahead of 11 and 12, which are hold, held by Chicago and Toronto. Three games ahead of them. Both of those teams, when you look at Chicago and Toronto, they still have a relative chance of getting into the playing tournament. Now, when I say relative chance, so again, we're, we're talking on, on two hands right now. We're talking about eight, nine, in some cases, 10 games left because they're still going to be postponed games that need to be made up. But if you're within three games at this point in time, whether it's to move up a seed, whether it's to get into the playing tournament, whether it's to get out of the playing tournament and get to the sixth spot, if you're within three games at this moment in time with that many games left, I'll give you a realistic chance. If you're anyone, even though mathematically you're still in it, I don't I, I don't see that happening. For example, for a team like Cleveland, who's technically eight games back, they're not I don't see them somehow getting springboarding ahead of Toronto and Chicago and Washington in eight games. So that is what I'm referring to as far as the realistic shots of teams that are able to make a move. Same thing goes with New York, who sits four. They're four games back of Milwaukee. That's going to be a tough ask. The reason why I say that, again, you're going to have to ask Milwaukee to struggle a lot. And with Giannis hopefully coming back, I believe his return is set for today. So, again, this is today, Sunday, May 2nd. If Giannis comes back and they're able to maintain being healthy for the remaining handful of games for Milwaukee, it's going to be really hard to see Milwaukee losing more than half of their games. That's over in the Eastern Conference. Now, as we get into the Western Conference, 
as we woke up this morning, Utah won their game last night, so now they're only a half game ahead of Phoenix. But very similarly to the Eastern Conference, if Phoenix and Utah end with identical records, the number one seed in the Western Conference will be the Phoenix Suns. Now, with this being said, I might just make, and it's probably not going to happen, again, as I've mentioned before, I think Jokic is the MVP, but this should tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that this should be a coronation of Chris Paul just always being an MVP candidate. Yes, he doesn't put up ridiculous numbers like Steph. He doesn't put up crazy numbers like Damian Lillard or Luka Doncic or any of the other top guards in the league. But Chris Paul consistently puts up quality numbers. But not only that, and especially if you've seen him the last two years with OKC and this year with Phoenix, OKC had little to no chance of making the playoffs last year. They sure as heck made it. They pushed Houston to seven games last year in the first round. Look at this year. Phoenix, granted they had a really, really good stretch in the bubble. They won 8-0. They still didn't make the playoffs, but they had a crazy good stretch. Now, all of a sudden, you're seeing Phoenix vying for that top seed in the West. And I'll say this now, and I may have said this in a previous episode, but to me, and we'll go into more predictions of awards and the end of the year stuff in the next episode, but to me, the coaches of the year candidates, like legitimate coaches of the year finalists for me, comes down to Quinn Snyder of the Utah Jazz, Monty Williams of the Phoenix Suns, Tom Thibodeau of the New York Knicks. And if I were to throw a fourth one in there, as I mentioned him before, Mike Malone of Denver. Although he won the coach of the year a couple seasons ago, I may just take him out for that. But I think Quinn Snyder, Monty Williams, Tom Thibodeau will probably be your finalists for coaches of the year. Whoever gets the top seed between Houston and Phoenix, to me, gets the, the tiebreaker as far as the coach of the year is concerned. So with that being said, again, a half game difference right now between Phoenix and Utah, with Phoenix being a half game behind the Jazz. And then we look a little further down, the Denver Nuggets, again, are sitting three games back of the top seed. They still have an outside shot of getting the first seed. Not likely, but that could potentially play into how these next few games go for them. And then in the fourth seed, a half game behind them, that would be the Los Angeles Clippers, and I believe the tiebreaker will still sit with the Nuggets. So if they both end up with identical records, tiebreaker goes to to Denver for that three seed. And here's another tiebreaker situation at the five and six. The Dallas, oh, right there, yep, pointing it right there. The Dallas Mavericks sit at the five seed in the Western Conference with an identical record with the Los Angeles Lakers who sit at six. Now, for both of these teams, it, it this gets interesting because, again, Dallas holds a tiebreaker because they won their, their two games against the Lakers. However, if you look further down at the seventh spot with Portland, who's only sitting a game behind both teams, Dallas does not hold a tiebreaker against Portland. So if somehow those three teams end up with a tiebreaker, Portland would leapfrog Dallas which would push Dallas down to the seventh seed. L.A., I believe, holds the tiebreaker over Portland. Or, actually, I believe Portland actually holds the tiebreaker over the Lakers. So, therefore, Lakers would sit six. Portland would jump up to five. And that's only a game back between five and seven. Now, 
like I mentioned, the Trailblazers sit at 7. But at number 8, you've got the Grizzlies, who sit 13.5 games. But they're only 4 games out of the 6th spot. As well as they played at times, I don't see them potentially hopping up top over this play-in tournament, so they're probably going to be settled in between that 7-10 to 10 range. Golden State sits a half game behind them at the number 9 spot, along with San Antonio. So 9-10 and 10 goes to Golden State, 10 spot goes to the Spurs. The Pelicans sit three games back, and now we're going to transition over to the schedule because this plays a huge role. The reason why I bring up the Pelicans Granted, they sit three games back of Golden State and San Antonio. The reason why I bring this up is if we look at the schedule, both Golden State and New Orleans have a doubleheader tomorrow and Tuesday. So that's Monday the 3rd and Tuesday the 4th. There's a back-to-back with Golden State and the Pelicans. So this, in turn, really directly affects the Pelicans. If they end up getting those two games from Golden State, now they find themselves a game back plus a tiebreaker, so they still have an outside shot of making it into the play-in tournament. And of course, as you get to the later stages, there's a lot of quality games that have playoff ramifications. I'm only going to highlight a few that's coming up this week, because again, there's just way too many. There's there's a lot. So if you have time to watch any basketball, any NBA basketball that's going on, please, please do so. I've, I've kind of pitched the, the league pass idea, so if you have not hopped on board, I don't know what the price is right now, but it's a good idea if you have some extra money to do so. Actually, I probably wouldn't do it because, again, it's towards the end of the regular season. And a lot of the the playoff games are going to be nationally televised, so don't worry about that. But if you know somebody, because I know, secret, I know everybody uses other people's Netflix and Hulu accounts. That's all right. But... If you know somebody that has NBA League Pass, maybe ask them kindly if you could have their login information so you can catch some of these games. Because as I mentioned, as I mentioned before with these, with the schedule, if we look at today, so this will probably not have a lot of effect because you guys may get this either tonight or tomorrow after the games have already transpired. But just looking at today's schedule, Miami plays at Charlotte, and that is at 5 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. As I've mentioned before, they both sit 7-8 and eight in the standings. So, Charlotte can still find their way to go up. Additionally, Boston plays at... Sorry, plays at home against the Trailblazers. So, again, that's another game that has ramifications for both Portland and Boston who are sitting near that 6-7 spot in their respective conferences as far as getting into the plan and getting out of the plan. As we look into tomorrow... As we look at tomorrow, as I mentioned, the first of their doubleheader is Golden State at the Pelicans. That'll be on ESPN. That's 4.30 Pacific Standard Time. Check that game out. Indiana at Washington, both 9-10s in the Eastern Conference. Indiana sitting at 9, Washington at 10. That's at 4 o'clock, so you have to check that out on uh, NBA League Pass if you're able to. And then as we go down, again, I, I could cover all of these games and tell you all of the games that have playoff ramifications but just kind of looking at each day what the significance of and the ramifications of the playoffs i'm going to highlight only a couple just to give you guys an idea of what that all looks like so again as we go into tuesday one of the games is dallas at miami again i mentioned this dallas right now sits fifth in the western conference they have a tiebreaker over the lakers miami again 
at the time of recording, is the loser of a tiebreaker between themselves and Boston. Both teams are trying to stay out of the plan. That's a game to check out. And again, that's at 5 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, Tuesday, May the 4th. On Wednesday, on NBA TV, we got San Antonio at Utah. That's 6 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. That does have some significance, more so for Utah than it does San Antonio, because I think San Antonio firmly will kind of sit that 9 and 10 spot. But for Utah, again, as they're vying with Phoenix for that top seed in the Western Conference in that same night, Phoenix plays at Atlanta at 5 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. But for Utah, again, if the playoffs were to end today and they both had identical records, Utah gets a two seed, Phoenix gets a one. Now, whether or not either team strategically wants to get the one or two seed, it kind of depends on what other teams end up finding the seven, eight seed going into the playing tournament. At this point, that's also what makes it very intriguing. I kind of alluded to earlier how the playing tournament in itself has its pros and its cons. Another pro to add to that is that for your top seeds, because a lot of teams either try to move up the standings to have a favorable matchup for a lower seed, with the one and two spot, you don't necessarily know. So it kind of just depends on how the playing tournament plays out, how that goes for either team. So again, Utah, Phoenix, one and two. There's a lot of jockeying that can happen there, but of course it kind of just depends on what other things happen as far as the bottom seeds go. And then as we go into the end of the week, Brooklyn plays at Dallas on Thursday at 4.30. And then on Friday, we've got New Orleans at Philadelphia. So that at that point for the Pelicans, we will know more as far as whether or not they find themselves really within striking distance of getting into the play-in tournament after their doubleheader against Golden State. Again, that's tomorrow and Tuesday. Of course, Philadelphia still finds themselves, as I kind of talked about earlier, about the top seed in the East. There's a lot of ramifications there. And then Saturday on NBA TV, Brooklyn at Denver. That could potentially be you know, a dark horse pick for a finals preview. That'll be fun. That'll be good to watch if you're there. And then San Antonio at Portland, 7 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. That's Saturday, May 8th. Playoff ramifications there. And to kind of close it all off, guys, I'm going to just say this again. This is exciting time because we're getting towards playoffs. We're getting towards that time where hopefully some of the, the, the key star players for each team, they're returning back from injury. LeBron came back on Friday. LaMelo Ball came back yesterday. Hopefully, in a week or so, Donovan Mitchell for the Jazz, he's going to be reevaluated in a week. Hopefully, he'll be back in time by the end of the regular season. Gordon Hayward. All of these other pieces, and again, I could go on a list because, again, that's just how crazy this season's been and how condensed it is and how much that takes a toll. Hopefully, towards the tail end of the regular season, we start to see the playoff picture get a little more clearer, but we also want to see the playoff picture become a lot more hectic and we don't know what's going to happen we don't know what teams are going to make it so that's really exciting to talk about and hopefully in the next couple weeks or so hopefully in the next few weeks the next episode will be up here for the nbb podcast again thank you guys who are listening or watching you guys have been awesome if you follow me on uh, my regular social media accounts i will eventually be posting within the next week or so my own new nothing but backboard podcast social media pages so you can follow me there if you're following me on youtube please feel free 
smash that like button, hit that thumbs up, share it, subscribe with your friends, subscribe and share it with your family. Anybody that wants to listen about basketball, please, please, please send them my direction. Hopefully I can entertain them at least and give them some sort of knowledge or information about what's going on in the world of the NBA and in the world of basketball. Again, you can also follow me on any of your audio podcasts, Red Circle, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you name it. You can probably find me there. But as always, thank you guys. I will see you guys in the next episode. My name is Joey Jergo, and I will see you guys very, very soon. Peace.